Welcome to The Corner, the celebration and conversation of everything creative. It's a soapbox, it's an intersection, it's a gathering place. Here we go. Hip-hop in the name of love. My kicks on the concrete, sun in my face. The track hits my ears, electrifies my mind, moves my feet, takes my heart back to that place. Hip-hop. Hip-hop was my genesis. I'm that little kid on the red line train, looking out windows at art so vibrant it can't be blurred or dulled by rain. All that done with paint from a can. Damn. Never doubt a man with a plan. Walking by the playgrounds, I can hear a beat. I get closer and I see people dancing with more than just their feet. Flattened out cardboard boxes as makeshift dance floor. I couldn't get enough. I would always want to see more. It was then that my ears started to hear. Beats that made my head nod. And wordplay bombardiers. I was soaking in the five elements of hip-hop. It's like that. And it didn't stop. Hip-hop would give me my voice, showed me poetry, and made my words weapons of choice. My entire world opened up because of dance, beats, and rhymes. Art on trains, trailers, and walls finished the design. My world is still expanding and thankfully with no end, and I'm hoping I'm doing this shout-out hip-hop hooray style and not missing one friend. A tribute to what energizes me, honoring what moves me, sending peace to what powers me, love to what empowers me. Microphone fiends, blast masters, hard rhymers, abstract poets, donuts, wonders. I'm here now, from the dopest beat to the Adidas on my feet. From the bottom to the top, I can't stop, won't stop. I love you, hip-hop. That was a little poem called... Hip-hop, in the name of love. Peace. What's up, everybody? This is Matt, a.k.a. M. The Glad Woodrow, and you're back on the corner with me. And if, actually, if this is your first time, welcome. All right, on this episode, I got the homie Jeremy with me. And uh, a little history um, about Jeremy and I. We, we go back from the Twitter days um, hip-hop Twitter days, before hip-hop Twitter got bored and started arguing with each other about some of the most ridiculous of shit, um, he and I struck up a friendship online first. We talked about hip-hop. Um, we talked about how much it sucked that he couldn't get to the Latirix show. But we kept talking, kept talking, 
and finally planned a meetup at a Dune Tree show. Um, this is, man, this is probably, oh, this is a while ago, probably, you know, close to 10 years ago now. But anyway, uh, he and I struck up a, fr a friendship. Uh, what started as a friendship over just hip hop turned into a, a friendship on, on all sorts of levels. Um, Jeremy is one of the coolest shits you'll ever meet. Uh, we've been to a bunch of shows together. Uh, he is now living in the Boston area by way of Alabama. He'll talk a little bit about that on the episode. And what is this episode all about? Why am I bringing a homie on? Well, for one, just to talk to him because it's been a while. The pandemic sucks. Um, it still sucks, I should say, because I'm recording this intro in the midst of my own COVID positivity. <laughs> so that's why it sounds like I've been smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. But anyway, um, yes, I'm fully vaxxed. We can go into that some other time. Actually, we won't. We won't. I'm, I'm done with talking to anti-vaxxers about this shit. Anyway, back to the idea of what we're here for. Jeremy came on with me. He and I started talking about let's do a show together or let's do an episode. Um, and let's talk about what we find to be the the canon of hip hop, if you will. And you'll see that's a little bit of a play on things. Um, but um, in other words, what are the, some of the essential albums for folks to listen to? And if at first we were going with the indie route, but then we just started to, to think... Hip-hop as a whole is an independent thing, started as an independent thing. So then we got this huge list compiled between the two of us, so we decided to break it down into decades. So what you're hearing right now is hopefully part one of at least a two- to three-part uh, discussion between Jeremy and I about what we think is the essential listening in the world of hip-hop. And we'll get more into the indie DIY type stuff a little later, but this one, this episode is about the 90s. And uh, you might agree with some, you might not agree with some, but that's the fun. Uh, we're not really, neither of us debate each other because he and I are often on the same page about music. Um, and we're not really putting this out there as a debate, um, but everything is debatable. But we are putting it out there as a, these are some albums that if you haven't yet, you should peep. Or if you haven't in a while, you should peep. Um, and that's what we're thinking in the spirit of like community and sharing. That's what this episode is about. So check it out. Listen in as the homie Jeremy and I talk about what we think is the canon of hip hop, starting with this one, this one segment uh, about the 90s. All right. Peace and enjoy. Hello. Hello. Hey, how is it going? It's going pretty well. How about yourself, man? Very long, long time to talk. Although I listen to your podcast every week, so I feel like we talk more than we actually probably do. <laughs> Thank you very much for that. Uh, it's been, it has been a long time. This pandemic thing has been a pain in the ass for sure. I know. I feel like I was, we were seeing you and your wife for concerts uh, once a month-ish, and now it's been years. Yeah, it's not fair. Not fair at all, <laughs> man. Yeah, so it's uh, we might have a tiny little uh, co-host here and there because I got the little one strapped to me, but I'm taking that whole dad rap to the next level with this. So <laughs> we'll see what happens. I mean, it's, you're never too young to learn about '90s hip hop. That's right. <laughs> That's right. 
I feel like I ran into a similar situation where like, I was compiling my list and so much of what we were trying to focus on came out in the early 2000s. So it's like, it's kind of, kind of easy to, to mix the, you know, the end of the nineties with the early two thousands. Cause the sound was pretty similar, but. Yeah. I, I tried to, I tried to be real honest. Um, I tried to find stuff, think about things that were came out in the nineties, even if I maybe listened to them later and things that really like, um, shaped my hip-hop journey even if some of those are things that i don't particularly listen to or would re-listen to now um because i kind of felt like you know we should i wanted to be honest about this and maybe talk about some things that we maybe normally wouldn't talk you wouldn't talk about on this show great right is a yeah because there's no way i could tell you like i think when we were messaging back and forth like i was like i could I, i couldn't tell you i was honestly into something like you know like full head into like PE when I was 11 years old. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. a, so it was like, that's not going to happen. I mean, I did catch up to them later, which, uh, which is part of what I want to do with the first little part is like to, to, to talk briefly about what got, well, more specifically you, because I think I've talked about it on other episodes. So if listeners have listened, um, so, but since you're the guest, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about what brought you to hip hop and what it is about hip hop that, that really catches you. Yeah. I think that's an awesome place to start. Yeah, so I would say that um, my journey to hip-hop maybe was a common one, but it probably wasn't, like, the typical story where it's like, yo, I got a mixtape from my neighbor, and I, you know, fell in love with hip-hop. Um, I was born in 81, so, you know, um, a lot of the stuff we talked about today, like, I did catch, in the even if it came out earlier, I called it in the late 90s. But um, my my journey sort of started with actually with rage against the machine. So I was obsessed with rage against the machine when I was in high school, Uh, everything about them. And like people do when they're obsessed with artists in high school, you want to know every single thing about them. So the thing that I learned about them was they were really into hip hop. They were into bands like public enemy, Cypress Hill, all of these bands, these, uh, you know, rap groups that I, I may have heard of, but never really listened to. And I started just like going down that rabbit hole, Um, you know, early days of like Napster and stuff, you know, like downloading just like all of the stuff off the internet. It'd take like 30 hours to get a whole album. (laughs) Um, And, you know, that just sort of started my, um, my journey into hip hop um, combined with, um, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, you know, like the Slim Shady LP coming out and something about that, you know, as a white suburban kid spoke to me, but like that then like also led me down more rabbit holes of like this legit rap hip hop that I, you know, never heard. And I think, you know, I was gravitated towards it for the same reason that I was gravitated towards rage. It taught me about the world in a way that, growing up in rural-ish Alabama, I did not have access to. And so for me, it was it was education and entertainment. And I just kept going further and further down that rabbit hole. And I, I think that like, you know, hip hop shaped who I am. Like it's the reason that I have some of the politics I have. I believe the things I believe. It's because like I became obsessed with hip hop as a teenager word word yes yeah, so i have a, a similar path to that and then kind of went but kind of 
we had, a, I think we've talked about this, we had the, the intersection and the Rage Against the Machine is that intersection. It's like I got into to rock stuff a little harder after hearing Rage, but then because I, I grew up with some some kids around me in Dorchester, Massachusetts that would like that would play, you know, Houdini, Run DMC, uh, Fat Boys, all those guys, and then breakdancing was everywhere. And at some point, yeah, Rage Against the Machine came along. I'm like, well, these guys sound like Public Enemy, but with metal behind them. Okay, <laughs> so it's like, so yeah, we're at Rage Against the Machine, man. Bless them for bridging gaps because. Yeah, definitely. I like what you said about like informing the politics too, because I would dare say that a lot of my social views, my worldviews, stem from from being taught by you know the the, the greats like the Chuck D, KRS One, those fellas, you know. So, but, yeah, yeah, and I, says, I mean, I I stand by that Zach Delaroca is probably one of my top five MCs, even though a lot of people don't consider him an MC. I think like his wordplay is amazing. Even the stuff he did with Rage, you know, was a lot of like like rap and like influenced by that. And like he is to me still like one of the top like MCs, even though he doesn't do much these days. Great, yeah, I, I I'm right there with that because I mean, even if you just take all of his guest spots on Run the Jewels alone and like those verses are dope so it's like he's he knows how to do it and uh that's what really come, comes cool with uh they come correct and then zach comes correct with like he knows where that rap style comes from he pays homage to that i mean i feel like he's he's pretty well loved in the rap world too if i, I could be wrong but i don't think i am <laughs> no i mean i think he's got bona fides you know yeah. i think he i think people people check for him and he, you know, I mean, he supposedly there's a whole like album that he, him and LP did that like he then decided he didn't want to release. So I don't know, maybe one day that'll see the light of day. He's hoping because LP can be loud too. So like that's as, I mean, as we were talking about with like, you know, run the jewels alone is pretty loud music. So if you just take the guitars out and then that's pretty much, you got the same kind of vibe, I think from run the jewels, that you get from rage so yeah i think there's a reason that like he he found a home with them you know like that he's on every single one of their he's got at least one track on every single one of their albums i mean i think it's because him and lp like have a connection but i i think you know the music is kind of kindred in that way yeah absolutely yeah no i know i you I do come at you a little bit like picking on you every now and again because you are you said you you said it too you're from Alabama and I'm glad that you mentioned the fact that like that's how hip hop got to you too because like even in Boston hip hop kind of moved slowly to us and uh, so that was kind of you know it's been it was kind of a weird thing but at the same time there were kids around <laughs> that that listened to it and yeah so uh, so for the dear listeners uh, what Jeremy and I decided to do and like and is to come up with uh, like what we think is like the essential hip hop albums. Uh, we tried to stay with with the indie because that's kind of our lane. But I have to confess, like I did kind of bend the rules on that one a little bit. Uh, I think for the '90s, mine are almost going to all be exclusively not indie. To be right. honest, right? Like I, I I know that's what we wanted to do, but the reality was like in, everything was indie in some way in the '90s. You know, mm-hmm. it was even the people that were all majors. It was still like it was so. It was still in, in its infancy. So right. this list actually 
probably has nothing that would technically be considered indies. And, you know, if this goes well, people dig it and we decide to jump into the 2000s, especially like the 2000s, 2010s, I think we'll like start going down that indie indie path more. To be completely honest, I, yeah. I don't think anything on here is actually considered indie that I have on my list. All right. As long as we got that in common, then we're pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, because I because I was looking at like it, it came down to is like I was looking it up. I mean, I was Wikipedia and shit. I was like straight up like looking at the histories like on the websites of these record labels. And I'm like, man, these distributions were like major. They like they got major distribution, even though they might have been considered underground or indie. But but they're not quite as DIY as some of the stuff that I know that you you and I are going to talk talk about later. Um, but but yeah, so the I wanted to be honest about that too. So there's I ran into that, but I mean, but the nineties, yeah, I mean, everything was coming out in the nineties. And if we want to boil it down, hip hop as a, as a culture is, is independent in, in its, in its soul, because it came up as a totally grassroots thing. And, and so from there, you know, I mean, you might want to get me on a technicality out there if you want listeners, but I don't think you, I don't think you can because, uh, yeah, because hip hop started as a, an entirely grassroots movement, and uh, and that's that's where I'm coming at it anyway. So, so yeah. So you uh, you want to jump into the list? You would you like to go first since you are my my illustrious guest? Um, no, I'm gonna go first because um, I think this one may be one that we both share, or at least we share in some in some way. Um, I think the first album that I'd like to talk about a little bit is Public Enemy. Fear of a Black Planet. Oh, there we go. Yeah, see, I had a different one, but I'm gonna. I could go either way. Right? Um, so, yeah, and the reality is, I probably heard this, and it takes a nation around the same time. It takes a nation technically came out in the '80s, yep. so that's why I actually chose to put this one on here as a way gotcha. to, as a way to shoehorn in talking about Public Enemy. There we go. <laughs> um, I mean, I, 1992. You caught it right at the beginning of the yeah, decade like, too. So yeah, the damn the rules. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think the one, the reason that, like, this is the one that I wanted to, you know, just talk about a little bit initially was because this is the album that sort of got me, are the, are the group, really, that sort of got me into hip-hop, right? Like, this was, like, this was that, like, one step removed from Rage Against the Machine. It was the thing that I listened to that, like, I knew Rage, like, was really heavy into, and that, like, I could see the similarities a lot, like you mentioned before, right. you know, um, you know, songs like burn Hollywood. And then like you go into like nine one one is a joke. And like, that's so weird and different. And it's like a flavor out front a lot with some of those, like, like lines. And it's just like, I was like, just blown away by it all. And the, the, the energy of it all. Yeah. That was, that was the, that was the album that got people, my parents noticing that I was listening to rap. <laughs> so it's like uh that that album i mean and you mentioned nine one one's a joke and that, that it was the lead single from that album I, like i just heard that on another podcast and uh it might have been people's party with chuck d talking about the whole thing yeah it was, so nine one one is a joke was the the lead single off that album so what a way to get people like at least get attention you know like that that album kind of grabbed people by the throat didn't it yeah i mean it just was like and to to like put some of these concepts, you know, like these, you know, black power concepts, these concepts about, you know, race and policing and, and you know, all of these things to just like 
put them forefront on like an album that got major distribution, you know, um, in a way that was, you know, slightly different than what come before it. Like, you know, NWA put them things forward in a way that was a little more like, like, I don't want to discount anything they did. Cause if we had an eighties episode, I'd be talking about that album, but like, Absolutely. it was definitely like, almost like they put it in your face in like a different way, almost with like the shock of it all where this public enemy, public enemy albums were just like, they're almost like a lecture compared to those, but with like just good rhyming. And it was just so like, just like, you know, it just was one of those things where like, when I heard NWA the first time, I enjoyed the angst of it all. But when I hear, heard like public enemy for the first time, I wanted to learn more and I didn't really appreciate NWA until I understood public enemy. That makes sense. Yeah. Like that, that, that was kind of my backwards way to, or my backwards engineering as well. Cause I mean, I understood what they were talking about because of the angst and who doesn't understand anger and angst on its surface. But then like, you know, public enemy go into it. They, they specifically talk about issues. Like they, they, they will bring up history. So you are, like you said, looking things up and wanting to learn about, okay, what are they talking about right here? Who is this person they said something about here? Or, you know, what is that quote at the beginning of this song? Who is saying that? You know, so, so it's like, so it became, it became like one of my first history lessons, honestly, is, uh, is getting into public enemy. And, and the thing about like public enemy is the same thing with rage. Probably one of the reasons why, like, I almost like intertwine uh. them, you know, um, which is sort of funny to think that like then there was a project, you know, where basically it was Rage Against the Machine fronted by Chuck D, but I don't wanna like digress into that. But you know, it's like when you would hear interviews with Chuck D, he would also talk about like the books he was reading, the things you needed to read, the things you needed to see, how you could educate yourself. And it was just like just like a whole ass lesson. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, amen to that. Because uh, yeah, he was and he's articulate as all get out too. Like he, there's no, there's no mistaking what he's trying to say. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that's where like the difference between like a public enemy and an NWA, it, not that they like couch their language, but like, like, like Chuck D almost was like, okay, now here is all like the footnotes of this song in this interview. I'm going to tell, I'm going to break it down for you just in case there were any questions. Right. Yeah, he's a, uh... And he still does that too. Like his, his his interviews are amazing to listen to. Just like the way that guy's mind works. And, and you know, he just hit his you know, he's in his sixties and he's still sharp as he ever has been. So I'm pretty sure you could hear my kid snoring right now. Yeah, well, yeah, a little little bored, but that's okay. Yeah. yeah she's falling asleep again is the thing. That's their that's her gremlin sound we call it. But, but, uh, yeah, so is there is there anything else we want to cover about uh, Fear of Black Planet before we move on? Or no, I think I think that's that's good. All right. Yeah. See, I'm I'm not. I don't think I'm going to go in order. But you, that was that was golden that you came out with like something right in 1990. Yeah. So, my list my list in general is not in order. I put it in the order that like, I want to make sure we talk to in case we run out of time. But I did feel like that's right at 1990. I felt like Public Enemy is both of our kind of origin story. So I was like, this one should come first. Absolutely, yeah. That's that's a good way to say it. Um, so I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna get into something that came out not too 
far along that 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 time period too. I'm gonna go to. I mean, it's also again like because we're gonna bend that rule. Um, 1991, the Tribe Called Quest, Low End Theory. Uh, absolutely essential. I mean, on any any level of hip hop, I think. Um, I can't even. I can't even say. I think. I believe that, and I, I would be very, very, very not right in the head if I didn't mention how important a Tribe Called Quest is to not only me, but to hip hop as a whole. So, so I would say Low End Theory, 1991, a Tribe Called Quest. Um, I mean, that baseline that starts it all off in excursions, where Q-Tip just goes off, and Let's not discount the arrival, absolute arrival of Five Dog as an MC in on that album. So, how do you feel about that one? Um, yeah, that album is phenomenal. I'll be honest; the reason I didn't put this or any Tribe on my list is because I was really late to Tribe. Okay. Um, just like my access to some music where I grew up and stuff, it it was a little more mainstream. Like I heard people talk about Tribe. I never really like quite had access quite got into it um and i really like i started revisiting this stuff like much later like in the in the early 2000s and stuff but i think that like like you know for for the type of like indie rap that you and i mostly gravitate to like a tribe called quest and like that like kind of vibe is like the origin story of some of that type of music absolutely you know, the the musicality that Tribe used was different. The way that, like, you know, it was a little jazzy. The, you know, like, it wasn't as, like, boom bappy. It wasn't as, like, bass drum driven. Like, I think that they really, like, they opened the door to, to, like, to say that, like, this music can be as complex as you want it to be. Yeah, that's that's the thing is that there were so many layers to what they did, and uh, and we could say now that, that what they did because they're not going to make music as a collective anymore. But um, and rest in peace, Fife. But but yeah, that the, those those different things that they did. I mean, we also I mean they are the '80s, but we have to tip the hat to and give flowers to De La Soul and Jungle Brothers for you know paving the way for a tribe called Quest. But since we're talking about tribe, like the low end theory, like that jazz stuff, and like it showed that gap or it closed the gap between prior generations of like of of music fans to like to the current and then and just in the line where where Q Chip talks in excursions, you know, talks like this reminds him or you know, talking to his dad, it reminds him of Bebop. And uh, so it had that sensibility, it had the jazz sensibility sensibility, but it also had the right now in it. And uh, and it's the album still. I mean, we're in 2023, you know, 32 years later, and it still sounds fucking fresh. So it's like it trailblazed in so many different ways. And and I I keep going back to like that. Fife totally arrived as an MC on that album, and nobody prior really like noted. I mean, we noticed him, but nobody really noticed him until he really kicked the door in himself. And and it became that back and forth that like two MCs on a on a track, and that whole idea of passing the mic. So harken back to the days of of you know Cool Herc and all the those guys where the MCs were on the stage and they're like telling them everybody their name every different way they could, but also like punchline after punchline and and set up and set like one guy would set up the other guy, and then that's happening on that album too. Like that whole 
the give and take that the partnered MCs really go back and forth with. And I mean, it's just fucking phenomenal. I mean, I can't get sick of that album, but I'm not going to keep talking about that album because I could talk a whole episode about that album alone, honestly, because that was one of the few things that like that, that I always listened to prior to Public Enemy um, was the Tribe Called Quest because that was something my mom let me bump when there's old people around. Even though Benita Applebaum is about singing <laughs> girls' butts, so it's. Uh, but yeah, um, that'll be that'll be all I need to say. I think right now, anyway, about a tropical quest. So, what do you got next? Yeah, so I'm gonna go out of order because I think you know we're talking about tribe. It made me think, you know, something you said about you know, um, like the musicality of it. Something about like, you know, the the fight kind of like busting into the scene, the trading off it made me think a lot about an album that's actually last on my, my little list here, but I think ties into it, right. Came out in 1999. Things fall apart by the roots. Oh yes. Yes. You know, um, first time hearing a live band, you know, on a hip hop album. Now, granted, you know, now that like I dove into the history of stuff, I sort of understand like that, like when there was live out, like, you know, live stuff in the past or, you know, samples, I understand more like how they work and that they are where li- like live music that are just being like chopped into a song. But for me, you know, coming from like a, you know, a rock world where I'm like used to seeing like a whole ass band up there doing their thing, like the roots were just amazing. Yeah. You know? And I, I grew up a couple hours from New Orleans. Like I was used to seeing people with like horns and, you know, and just like them having all of that, you know, it was just like another one of those, like those moments where I realized that like hip hop isn't just such a tiny little box, right? That it just like, it spreads, it can be so many different things and there aren't any rules to it. Like some other genres seem to have. Right. Yeah, that was yeah that that album right there like that that you just named my single favorite roots album by the way uh, and i and i've been listening to them since oh man i mean i caught on to a, a few singles when organics came out but i can't say that i had that album because i can't i don't think most people can say they have that album um but there are people around that had it and very few uh but but then yeah they just got better and better and i think that they've they've explored so much of what they can do with 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 hip hop and just being a band that opens up like you said like you don't have to worry about i mean they do sample but they don't sample as heavily as some things that we might we might mention down the road in this conversation but like there's so much so much to it and then black thought you can't go without saying black thought is one of the best that ever did it and uh and i i just can't take a serious like conversation seriously when people are talking about the greatest mc if Black Thought is not in that conversation, then I turn that conversation off. So but the, the thing that's even interesting about that, right, though, is that Black Thought was, for like, you think about this album came out in 1999. The Roots have been around forever. You know, Thought didn't make a real solo album, a full solo album, until last year. Right. And before that, you know, a couple EPs and stuff. You know, I think it was... It was interesting 
it was an interesting thing for hip hop for the lyricist to maybe not be the front man of the band. Like he was comfortable with Quest being the front man of this group. And I think that's like one of the reasons that, you know, what made them so interesting and appealing. And, but also one of the reasons why like thought does not get his flowers. That's, that's, that's true. I never really thought about it that way. Cause like he did kind of, he just, he became part of it. He didn't become it. Which I yeah that's a that's a solid that's a solid point, which is also yeah. to say like that that roots dynamic is such a family too because if they're not going to put any one person at higher importance than the rest, that's that and you know to and I'm, I'm glad he's getting his flowers now but like he's always been pretty ill <laughs> so oh no I mean the lyricism yeah. on those albums is above and beyond but you know I mean they made. They made some albums, um, you know, where he where he was barely on them. Like when they did albums with other people, like he That's true. He really just like um I'm trying to think of what that that one is, but it's the one that has like Wake Up with John Legend and stuff on it. Oh yeah. It's yeah, like yeah. yeah, it's like they have like he is barely on that album. And it's... he's still a fantastic roots album, and that's just like what's interesting, you know, about about them. And then to think like this is this like legitimate hip hop group got like bar none, one of the best MCs in it. And they're on TV every night, right. every night of the week they're on TV. Yeah. They're hiding in plain sight. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's just, that's a, they're, they're one of the dopest things ever. I mean, and then they're like, yeah, they, they, yeah, like you said, they're on TV every night and on the tonight show. Like, so it's like every that- night, that's big. That's like one of the biggest shows of all time. Like there are people's grandmothers who know who the roots are now, right. you know, because they tune into Jimmy Fallon or right. whatever, right. you know, um, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, when I went to the, see the roots this past summer, my mom knows who those are. Those guys are, and she doesn't pay attention to rap for shit. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, I mean, people that don't even pay attention to music for shit. They're like, oh, the roots from, you know, I mean, in some ways it's like frustrating as a hip hop head to be like, oh, the roots from Jimmy Fallon or whatever, you mm-hmm. know, um, which is like another interesting thing. Like, I don't watch Jimmy Fallon much, but Thought goes by Tariq on Jimmy Fallon. They never call him Thought or they used to not. They always call him Tariq. And I think that's interesting. And and. I, I don't know why that is. Like, I don't know if like when they first started, if they thought a name like Black Thought was just too inflammatory somehow, or if it's just sure. like another part of just like him falling back for like the good of the the group as a whole. And it made him more like approachable, like with Jimmy talking to him back and forth, like they do to call him by his, like his full, his first name. Right. Yeah, I got to wonder too. Now there's some poking around. Yeah, now, that gets me. That's getting me interested to see what what, what that that's all about. Because yeah, you're right. Because they, they don't. I don't think they've ever referred to him as Black Thought until that one episode where he did the he did that thing on Broadway where he wrote and I think they introduced him as no 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 they actually said our own Tariq Trotter. Trotter. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> I just corrected myself. So yeah. I mean, I haven't uh, watched Fallon in many years, but I remembered like when I first watched, I first like initially was like, I got to watch this because just like the roots are on there. Like, what the hell? I have to see this. 
you know? Right. And like, I remember being like, like a little bit like, and because like I'd seen the roots live up at this point, but because like black thought kind of takes like a back seat when they started calling Tariq, I started questioning. I was like, is that, is, am I, is this the guy, you know, I had to like get on the internet, like I had to get up on that dial up or like the, the whack modem, whatever we had back then. And like, I don't think we had dial up back then. We had like slow Wi-Fi, and I was like, oh no, that's him. That's his like his real name. Interesting. You know, mm-hmm. so yeah, I, I just felt like I wanted to talk about the roots. I could that's one that I could talk about forever because I loved them for so many different reasons, but I just felt like it kind of fit into to kind of like the vibe of, of where this conversation had been going. Yeah, yeah. And there and talk about independent spirit too. Like those guys do what they want when they want. And that and that's that. That's the, what's more Indian than that, really. Major label, major labels are not tonight show or not. They're doing think, what they want it, you know. I think that's the point of like, you know, thought came out with an album when he was ready to come out with an album. Right. If he'd have gave a shit about what the labels or anybody else said, he'd have come he'd have come out with an album twenty years ago. Right. Because there was definitely an appetite for it. He did it when he was ready. Yeah. You know, they they've made whole albums that are like not, you know, like, you know, where there's more singers on it than rappers and they've really just done like i feel like what they've wanted to do and like if that isn't like the you know the kind of like the ethos that like you know punk and hip-hop share then like what is right exactly so that's i mean that's no foul there i wouldn't think you know bringing those guys up it's for sure um no foul at all nobody's handing you out even even a yellow card on that one so (laughs) all right so I got a, I got an album that's a little different, I think, uh, a little different uh, than the last couple that we've been talking about. Um, and for me, I know that a lot of the times we talk about 90s rap in general, but we can't talk about ra- ra- 90s indie rap without talking about the, the boot camp clip, click. And in that, uh, Black Moon, Enter the Stage came out. And I don't think anybody heard rap quite like that. Because I mean, there's, this is a there's self-made click. And side note, like, there's a there's a homie of mine from college who had a boot camp click hat that got us noticed at a, a number of different shows, and we met the Far Side because of that hat. So, because I mean, they were they were respected then, and it's become uh, shit. I've, is it uh, Duck Down? Duck Down Records is their is their imprint now, but. Uh, but yeah, Black Moon with Enter the Stage. Are you familiar with that one? Um, I am a little bit. I'll be honest. Like I, what I know, what I relate to the Bootcamp Click is Smith and Wesson, Helta Skelta. Like those are the things that I was like that came to my mind initially. I definitely think like, um, you know, Black Moon is one that like I know. Like Buckshot was in Black, right? Buckshot and Black. So, like, I know, yeah, I know Buckshot, but like, I don't, I'll be honest, like, I think I may have slept on on Black Moon as a group. And so, I'm going to have to add this to to the list. Tell me why I should listen to this. All right. So, so that that one was one of those ones, like, I think I intimated that that at the time, and we'll see, I have it in note here. uh, It came out in 1993. So, I can't remember if that was prior to or or after uh, Wu Tang dropped their first record, but 
but that but at that point like a lot of new york rap was the stuff that we all know about like uh your krs1 your ll cool j um and i'm not going to say anything disparaging about either of those cats because i mean they, they paved the way for a lot of folks and let's let's be honest here they could spit especially back in the day um but boot camp when they came about it was it's like it felt like when you watched the video of theirs it was like a million of them in it and like all those dudes that we mentioned like helta skelta smith and wesson were in there like so all together there was probably like 15 to 20 people in every one of their videos um and then black moon had this 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 approach that that things were were definitely not as cleanly produced as a lot of the other stuff you heard um so like that grimy feel I mean, not even quite Wu-Tang grind, but like if you want to catch a borough of New York and they're from Brooklyn or Bucktown, um, they they embodied that at the time. And so like you felt like you were going there with them. You felt like you were going to Brooklyn to visit them anytime you listened to them. And then they they did things a little differently and and lyrically as well. They they talked a little bit more about the underbelly of the world, uh, whereas this is when like a lot of the, the mainstream stuff was starting to get more about, you know, bling and, and everybody talking about keeping it real. And even though that wasn't the life and they, they were, they were a little bit more realistic about it. Um, and then there was, and again, like just the sheer numbers of them uh, in the boot camp, click in general, but like, but the black moon being one of the first things that came out of that set, that set of people, uh, they just kind of announced this is, this is, I don't even know if I'm right totally about this, but they kind of announced like this is what underground rap is in 1993, and and for whatever reason that album comes on in my rotation like every couple of weeks or so, and uh, and a lot of it's because it's from nostalgia, but a lot of it is like it holds up because Buckshot, I think I'm going to go on record as saying he's one of the more like slept on MCs. Uh, I don't rank, but I, I will say that, but. Uh, but yeah, that's I think in my opinion why why somebody should listen to Black Moon, especially that first album, Enter the Stage. All right, I'm sold. I think this is a fantastic segue. Speaking about fifteen motherfuckers on a video, grimy <laughs> as hell. The next thing I have on my list is from 1993, also, and it's Wu Tang. Enter the Wu Tang. 36 chains. Yes. Yeah, you can't talk about 90s hip hop without talking about those fucking guys. Like, like nine members and then the other people a part of that too. And affiliates, right? Like, I yeah. mean, like everybody's a Wu-Tang affiliate, right? Like it's, it's, it's a, insane. A million dudes, a lot of the same things you were saying, like underproduced, grimy, imperfect on the beats and stuff, like on purpose though, you know, like really just just that kind of like raw like that raw sound that definitely again like as a group in the 90s appealing to someone that's like kind of getting into hip-hop from like the rock angle you know just like absolutely just just like made you want to just like like break something yeah yeah those guys like Man, I, I heard something about those guys like getting their record deal, and they just basically like they gave their tape, they taped to like Stretch and Bobito. And they're like, the, those guys were like, what the fuck is even going on here? Like, that's the thing of like, I think it was an evolution of hip hop. So, shout out to that show. That's a pretty dope show. But, uh, 
But yeah, like Wu-Tang did things so fucking differently than anybody ever did before them. And then, like you said, like it was grimy and it felt incomplete, but it was all on purpose. And like, and RZA really showed off, like I think pretty early on, like he wasn't out to do anything that anybody did before. So, and just yeah. like I mean, every, like you were saying, like every story about when people first heard them were like, "What the hell is this?" And then they were like, "Yo, we we like had them over to the studio, and like three hundred motherfuckers showed up, <laughs> right. you know." And it's just like just like i don't know just like i remember like the first time i heard shame on and i was just like what is this yeah you know it's just so you know and then the people that came out of that click right method man like all of those guys i mean all of those guys were so good like odb like it just it's just like such like energy and like i don't know like that is an album that i still listen to on a regular basis and I mean, I think we got to give like, like they were also like the, in my mind, some of like the original, like, yo, we're going to slap this, this woo emblem on everything and we're going to sell it to you. We're going <laughs> to sell you a t-shirt. We're going to sell you hats. Like, what do you want? Like, you want a belt? We got a belt. Like, <laughs> you know. You, you say that as I'm looking at my, my Wu-Tang coffee mug right now. <laughs> exactly. Like they were just like, they were just like, you know, it's almost like. And now, you know, nowadays, like merch is like how is one of the ways to like make money in this industry. And they were like just like ahead of the game. I mean, you could go into like, you know, the mall stores, like whatever the hell, like um, not hot topic, but those ones that were like that. You could just walk in there and they'd be like in the back with like all the like band t shirts. It'd just be a Wu Tang shirt, this big, gigantic yellow ass W on it. And you're just like, I mean, I remember like my friend's dad had a Wu-Tang show. I don't think he even knew who the hell Wu-Tang was. It was on sale <laughs> somewhere. You know what I mean? And he just like was rocking this like Wu-Tang shirt, you know? That's dope. Like, it was just like, they just like, you know, and like they just were like the first to like, to do that kind of stuff, you know? And that was like, are the first I knew about people to kind of do that stuff. It's like, you know, you show up to our shows. We don't just got tapes to sell you. We got like, what do you need right now? Right. We got that. We got that. That sheet set. If you need it, <laughs> we got sheets. We got we got towels. <laughs> and it's like, and like right. That's like the whole like market now for some of these like like indie labels and indie groups. Like you take you take labels like you know Rom Sayers, Strange Famous, um, you know, um, Strange Music. Like they're almost like clothing brands. Right. right, like, you know, like, Atmosphere is dropping new T-shirts like every week or whatever. You know, with they're like hooking up with legit designers and stuff. And like, Wu Tang was like the forefront of that stuff. Is like, yeah, we we got we got mo- we got more to sell you if you want it. They really were. I mean, they, they actually even had that Wu Wear line that they had for a while too. Like, it was legit fashion line. I mean, I don't know yep. if fashion is a word, but they had a legit. Yep. Like it was like sweatshirts and sweaters and, and other oh, they had jeans. I legit had a pair of those ugly yeah. ass jeans. Like they're way <laughs> too big, like falling off of me. Yeah, you know. Right. Yeah, oh, they were they were selling everything, you know, like they were doing that before before a lot of people and like and still like in a and like a really like 
I don't know, like in a way that didn't feel contrived or that didn't feel forced or didn't feel like a money grab. Like it wasn't like, you know, I'm coming out with Sean John. It was just like, yo, people want to buy this shit, you know, so we're just putting it out there. Right. That's a, that's a fun part of that. I mean, the, and, the, and actually, it's funny because their shirts, uh, I, I had the good fortune of seeing them in 97. So it wasn't too far after uh, after Forever drops. And they were touring with, with Rage then. And let me tell you, that was an amazing show from top to bottom, minus the group that came on before them. I won't mention them by name, uh, but but uh, but Wu Tang came on, and they and but like looking at the merch tables, most of it was different types of Wu, like the, that yellow W, like yellow on black, yellow on blue, yellow on red, like it was everywhere. And uh, by the end of their set, there was there's easily thirty fucking people on stage, including this one little kid that was calling us all sorts of names. Like out of love, but it's still like that whole uh, that whole aesthetic of the woo aesthetic was there. Like there was a zillion people on stage. There's chaos, but somehow it was still like pulling you in. Their merch was everywhere. Like I think even Zach De La Rocha was wearing a Wu Tang shirt for that show. I mean, there were uh, yeah. I'm glad you brought those guys up. They're on my list, and so I'm glad that you brought Wu up, man. But you're right. I think they became the, the less horny version of kiss in that regard yeah i mean if if you wanted to buy it they'd make it <laughs> that's right and i still gotta get another shirt i don't know what happened to my old one but i got the coffee mug still so <laughs> all right anything else we want to say about the woo i don't think so but before we move on to your next album you just made you reminded me of something when you said you saw them with rage okay. i saw Gangstar open for Rage. Oh, dude. And yeah. I think that like it was like this punk band, anti-flag, Gangstar, and Rage. And it just like, I think it just goes back to like our initial point about like Rage was about the culture. Like they were bringing these guys like Gangstar on tour with them in the 90s. Like, you know, because they like had that influence and they could do that. That's, yeah. That's that's pretty dope, man. I, I would have loved to have seen Gamestar and Rest in Peace Guru. Uh, it's funny because, like, remember that Rage Against Machine Beastie Boys, another sidetrack, but that Rage Against Beastie Boys tour that was supposed to happen. And I don't remember what year that was supposed to happen, but um, Rage Against the Machine Beastie Boys, each of them picked the pitch, picked their own like opener to to open the whole set. Uh, Beasties had it at, at the drive in as their choice because at the drive in was on Grand Royal at the time that uh, the beasties label and then rage picked Jurassic five. So that was pretty dope in and of itself too. So speaking of like that, yeah, it's like, yeah, I had tickets, yeah, I mean, to that. Rage I had tickets, I had tickets to that show. I was so bummed. Cause it's like, it got canceled. Cause like one of the beasties like broke their ankle or something like skateboarding yeah. or some dumb shit. Right. And then like in the process of rescheduling it, rage broke up. Yeah. And I, I yeah. I always am just I think about that show often and like how sad I am that I never got to see like I never got to see the beasties and that'd have been just awesome to see them like with rage. Yeah. And, like that whole lineup, you know. Yeah, yeah, I would have loved to have seen that. Like, I, I had tickets as well and that breaks my heart to think about too. Man. Like they were they did a free Mamiya show though, the Beasties and Rage with Black Black Star and then a couple other people I can't remember the name of. I have the shirt a friend of mine picked up for me. He saw them. I could not. I don't remember what was going on in my life that I couldn't get to that. But 
but but damn, yeah, that breaks my heart that that didn't happen. Man. All right, how about the next album? Let's see, I, I had it on my list. Okay, here we go. I'm gonna go West Coast. Honestly, I think you might know where I'm going. It's going a little out of order to dates, but well, and I think we might circle back to the other couple that I have on this list that are around the same time. But um, the album by Latirix. That album, man. Ooh. When's the last time you heard that one? That's been a while. Um, I'll be honest. It's been a while since I've heard that. I actually, you know what? Like, I wasn't even sure that. I really thought that was later. Yeah, that was uh, 97. If you would have, if, if you'd have asked me, I'd have told you that was like, that was 2001. <laughs> I think there have been a couple reissues of it since it dropped, but, um, but yeah, but they in the in 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 the quantum order or soul sides back then, the dudes that dropped in order were Blackalicious with Melodica, because I have this written down. Otherwise, I wouldn't have known. Um, and then there's DJ Shadow in '96 when he did uh, Introducing, and then Latirix came out a year later after '97. But but they weren't even according to Latif, they weren't even meaning to be a group, which is all all the the funnier that that Latirics even that that to me that album like kind of solidifies the whole quantum soul side movement as a real as a real a real creative entity and, and that's when they became like the west coast version of say like say like the boot camp click or wu-tang because there's so many different members i don't think there was six members to start or more to start the whole quantum soul size thing then and everybody had some sort of thing going on, and and as far as my standards go, it was all pretty fantastic. So it's and and in as a, on a personal note, it was talking about Latirics, if I remember correctly, that really brought you and I into each other's spheres. Yeah, I think I think that may that may be true, and this just reminds me of like really like something that like I do feel like this list of mine is missing and it's probably because like I was saying, I thought this was in the late two thousands. It was really like not till the two thousands till I went back and kind of looked at this like West coast, if you want to call it backpack scene, right. that, like I consider them part of, it was all of these like massive groups, you know, that were, that were coming out of there that had like all these members and they just like weaved in and out of groups, you know, it's like, you know, we don't need everybody here to do a show. We don't, we have so much stuff that like so many, you know, and it was, it was, you know, you think about like, you know, and I don't know what all these years are, but you think about like living legend, yeah. those guys, you know, um, freestyle fellowship, like all of those guys, like every, like all of those, like just like massive kind of very DIY, you know, from California, just like putting out just like crazy, like, you know, like lyrical stuff. And I think like what was interesting about like that West Coast backpack scene is because there wasn't really a scene there, right? They didn't fall into some of those same traps that like, oh, I'm from New York. I got to be this. Right. And so they just were making it up as they go. You know, it's very similar to the way that like there's just this weird indie hip hop scene out of Minnesota because they didn't have to fit into a box. So they all got to do this weird shit. Right. They were like the precursor to that. Right. Absolutely, like, yeah. We're from the Bay. They're like, we're selling, you know, 
we're selling shit out of our trunks. Like we're, we're doing these like crazy, like, you know, like freestyle open mics at these places. And it's just like, you know, when I hear, when I hear guys like talk about that time, I just like, it's one of the few times where I'm like, man, I wish I could be dropped into that time. Right. You know, the late nineties in like California, you know, like project blow, like all of those things. It's like, I wish I could be dropped there to just see this happen. Yeah. That, that would be the time to get into the DeLorean and check out that scene. That's like, that was the the fun part. Um, And talking to Latif on a one-on-one level is talking to him about the beginning of all that. And then he mentioned, he mentioned those cats you mentioned and then the high row crew uh, with, you know, Dell and souls of mischief and, uh, I want to say AC alone is in all that as well, and then uh, yeah, I mean that 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 scene from the Bay is so diverse too, because you also get dudes like Digital Underground from that. That you got Too Short is from fucking Oakland, and like he kind of gets lumped into the gangster guys because like he just tells stories, but 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 he, yeah, but he he ran his own game for the longest time before he was signed to Jive, and uh, selling his tapes like people sell crack. And so it's like, and it, that's coming from him himself. And then, because uh, everything was so different out there, there was no two acts that were the same. And even if you look at the Quantum Cats, like we're Latirix doesn't sound like Black Alicious, who doesn't sound like DJ Shadow. And even in Latirix, Latif's solo work doesn't sound like Lyrics Born's solo work. I mean, it's just, but somehow it all fits together, and they all work together like it's some sort of hip-hop Voltron, you know, like to, to bring back a Wu reference, actually, so. And I think, like, you know, the um, the diversity of it all from that West Coast backpack scene, right? Like, there was, right. there was, a, there was, there was a little bit of everybody, you know, yeah. you know, and I think it just made it just so different and interesting, and, like, so I'm really glad you brought that one up because I, I realized that, like, my list is lacking <laughs> you know that scene um, oh, good. you know when you try to throw a list together like this out um you know it's just like i was like but that is definitely like a movement that shouldn't that shouldn't be ignored and another one of those it's like like there's a direct line between those guys and a lot of the stuff that you and i like listen to Absolutely. right where like the line from some of these other people we mentioned there's a line but it's not the it's not the direct line it's mm-hmm. it's a circuitous route to get to get there right whereas there's a like there's a lot of cats that we listen to that that are absolutely directly influenced by that whole scene from the bay um and in particular the quantum soul sides crew and uh yeah i mean i, I just talked to and i'm i'm uh just talked to a dude that you love about that. His one of his major influences is that whole scene out there. So, so it's a it's definitely it definitely should stop being slept on. And so many people, I mean, got you know, rest in peace, gift of gab. I mean, so many people sleep on how brilliant that dude was. And I feel like we could just talk about. I mean, I, I feel like I just clumped in all the quantum guys. Um, and I don't think that's an unfair either, because I think all of them like to put each other up. Um, and as evidenced by Latif, I mean, you heard that episode. Like he talked more about how his love for other people than he talked about himself. And uh, but those quantum guys, like that, especially like since we've lost one of the greatest to do it, Gift of Gab. I mean, we can't keep sleeping on innovative, diverse, 
and just interesting music like this. And so that's why, like, at the very least, when I when you and I decided to do this episode together, I'm like, well, at least we're going to get people waking up about some of the stuff they might not know. And I think, you know, you, you said, like, I hate to lump them together. But like you said, I think that's what I think that's what they wanted. Like, that was by design, whether purposeful or not. Like, because some of these groups have groups within them. They're like, here's the here's the like the parent group. And, you know, it's not just like, oh, then we broke off and did solo stuff. It's like, oh, no, we're a group inside a group. And then there's this group over here. And then, you know, and then these three guys, you know, so it's like you almost have to lump them together. So I'm just like you need like some sort of like map with like the crazy lines drawn between everything to like sort it all out, you know? Right. That, that, that meme with uh, Charlie from it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah. <laughs> to just like, to just like sort out who was or wasn't in which, you know, you know, West coast backpacker hip hop group. Right. Right. I mean, that's, I mean, and, and, and I think it would just be, we'd be very remiss for not mention like that that whole scene because like that like you said it was a precursor to that minnesota shit that both of us totally got into and i would dare say we're still into so it's like i mean i'm, I'm looking at a dtr shirt that i'm wearing right now so uh but but yeah uh, and that was that was really majorly majorly the point that i was i was going at because like i did i did have shadow black delicious and latirics one after another on that list and there's no surprise to why that happened because like, that's exactly where my mind went. So, all right. what do you what do you got next? All right. So, I know we're getting close on time here. So, I feel like we would be remiss to not talk about the Slim Shady LP. Okay. Okay. It came out in 1999. I I this is an album that I cannot even listen to anymore. You know, like it's an album that like I. I can't stand like some of the language that's used in it. I can't stand like the overtly like violent stuff that's in it. But I just think that it would be remiss to not talk about like what an impact it had on, on people in general. And that it was a lot of people's gateway into hip hop for some of these reasons that were, that are, you know, unfortunate because some people, we're like, I like a person that looks like me rapping better than I like a person that doesn't look like me. But like for all the bad, for all the worst, I think like Eminem was like, you know, a true hip hop head. He knows the culture and he did a really good job of trying to like bring people along on that ride. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, they can't deny that. Like I mean, his hip hop, his uh, Hall of Fame induction speech. Like he totally, I mean, and I, I, I caught a little bit of shit about this on Twitter and I'm still on there. And as long as I got this podcast, I might stay on there for who knows until Elon buries it. Cause he's an idiot. But, but yeah, in his hip hop in his, his whole hall of fame speech, like he went alphabetically and he kept apologizing. Cause he's like, I know I'm leaving someone out. And like that right there, tells you like he's a student of the game. So I got respect for him for that forever. And dude, technically, I mean, the dude definitely knows what he's doing when it comes down to like holding the mic, what he's doing with it. And, and, but for the same reasons you said, I don't, I don't listen to that album anymore either. And I feel like I still have that in my many CDs, but, but yeah, I don't listen to that album anymore because of the same reasons that you said, like it's the, that blatant misogyny. There's like, like the hyper violence. And it's not even just like in general sense, it's like, we're talking about domestic violence 
And, uh, oh man, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that, like, yeah, I just, I can't stomach anymore. And maybe I could have, you know, 24 now, 24 years ago since that came out, because it was a little bit, it felt more edgy then, but now it feels like a little more cringy <laughs> to use that yeah. fucking word. But yeah, 100%. Like, I could tell you the last time I listened to this album. I mean, I can't tell you the last time I listened to him, right? Like, I, the one thing that I think is really sad about him is that I don't feel like he ever really grew and that he's mostly doing the same old shtick. Um, which is unfortunate because I, I don't, I don't think it's deniable that he has, um, you know, that he has skills. Uh, I'm currently like reading Psalm one's book and I'm at a part where it's before like the Slim Shady LP came out before all that. And he's just had like these mixtapes are like floating around these like hip hop, you know, people had them and like her talking about like how good he was and like the debates that they had over you know what race he was and where he might be from and all of these things and it was just like i i hate that like he went down that lane and then just never never came out of it but i don't know i felt like if we're going to talk about stuff that came out in the 90s and that had some sort of impact on the culture good or bad i feel like you you kind of have to to talk about that album yeah, I mean, you, I think yeah, you can't you can't deny yeah, like you were saying, you can't deny the impact that album truly had and still does have. I mean, because there, I mean, there are many people who who started a music career because of him, and and like in that idea that like he he technically is a a really ferocious MC, like that that dude cannot be denied as far as talent goes, as far as like what he can do with words how he uses those words and the fact that like in we both touched upon the idea that the fact that he does pay homage to the folks that came before him and the folks that made it possible for him to want to be say nothing about being a rapper but wanting to be one like and he's going to be the first person to tell you that he's very very gracious or grateful rather to the people who came from before him and like he's not one of those folks that that's going to come in and and be a culture vulture He's going to come in and respect the culture. He's going to try his best to be, you know, respectful of that. All at the same time, like you said too, his evolution kind of stunted out at some point. And I, I, I it was the same. Yeah, it was that same lane. It was like, you know, okay, he's going back to this whole idea of like dissing people for an entire record, and that's going to be what he's doing. And like that Kamikaze record, I think I like. I was sort of interested at first. But then I'm like, wait a minute, this is gonna like this whole thing is built on just taking shots at everybody he can think of that he needs to take shots at. It's like and I'm like, I can't get with that kind of toxicity. It's just not good for the soul. <laughs> so it's Yeah, I mean, I just he hasn't done anything interesting. He's made the same album the essentially the same album over and over again. And like I'm not here to 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 lift him up as like some I'm, he's not on my top five or whatever. But and look, is it is it Eminem's fault that like there are a million white rappers that only rap to like white people and don't know the culture? Absolutely. Was that his intention though? Absolutely not. Right. Right. Yeah, you can't you can't completely blame the person that birthed all that, but you can blame the the people who are birthed from that. Because, um, like, whether we like to admit it or not, Machine Gun Kelly is a child of hip, a child of, of Eminem. You know, so it's 
he wouldn't want to admit it himself. Uh, but but yeah, but the but the impact of that album is undeniable, and and it's because he knew exactly how to craft that album with the with a uh, production from Dr. Dre, which like production wise, that album will always hold up because it's as Dr. Dre. I mean, not always my favorite, my go to like producer, but like he's undeniable as well. So so that whole album definitely made the impact that you are telling me, you know, telling us about. And I'm like, that, that, so you, I, I think we would not have a right and predict or a right and complete show without talking about that album. So I wholeheartedly agree with that, that point of view. Uh, so, yeah, um, I'm thinking too, like there's another album on my mind that, that would, it would be pretty shitty of us to miss <laughs> and uh, came out in 1999 as well. And another, another, Another one we lost, another MC we lost in the last few years. I would, I would, just, I would say this one actually hit me pretty, pretty hard too. Uh, but MF Doom's Operation Doomsday uh, came out in '99, and like he had been not even a part of the scene forever since his brother had been killed, and then like here he comes, this masked motherfucker, <laughs> weird raps. I think that was the birth of weird rap, actually. When I think about it too, like I, I, I would think that like people like Open Mike Eagle or or uh, any of those guys like Rap Friera and and, and Chesky like probably have a lot to owe uh, MF Doom. But well, I mean, he's all of our rappers' favorite rapper, right? Yeah, he's yeah. he's that guy. Like he's your rapper's favorite rapper, and it just the whole like mystique of it all. The whole like. I don't know, like, there was just something, like, you know, there was something magical about Doom. And, like, that was another one that, like, I didn't get into later. I didn't get into until I realized that, like, oh, this is the guy that, like, the people I'm checking for are checking for. Right. You know? Um, but it's, it is, like, you know, and and just a guy that seems to have, like, transcended generations like I remember hearing like open Mike Eagle talk on a podcast that like his son and their, his friends are like into MF doom. Um, I remember I, I went back, you know, I'm 41 now. I went back to, to take some college classes in my late like thirties and on my laptop, I had like an MF doom sticker and it was just like the metal phase, you know, like no words, anything. And some like 19, 20 year old kids like stopped and was like fucking MF doom, man. Like, you know, like, and just like talk to me for like 20 minutes, you know, on MF Doom. And it's just like, there's just something about that guy that just like, just like people gravitate to, you know, like it, he's one that like your, your friends that are into rock know about him, your friends that are, he just transcended this thing somehow. Yeah. Like he, yeah, he was, like, and he's also sorts of like all sorts of a mystery, despite the fact that he had been around as uh Sev Love X in KMD, but they didn't go a whole far like too too far before uh his brother was killed. But like but I rem- yeah it's like I, I remember having conversations with people who I never even knew had any ear on rap at all uh, about MF Doom. And there was this dude that I used to work with uh, in my last job and he's like, so if you like rap, do you like MF Doom? I'm like, what the because he wasn't he was before that was talking about Snoop talking about Dre, talking about like Tupac and like all the names that you would think people like who don't know much about rap would bring up. 
and that's not to disparage any of them, but like, but there's this guy, he's probably in his mid sixties and he was like, so you must know who MF doom is. <laughs> yes. And we had a huge conversation about it. MF doom. And he's like, not a real big rap fan, but that guy's clever. And, and, and there was that, there was that cause he sounded simple, simplistic, but he was so fucking intricate. And, uh, I go back to his album so often that that I, I, I I'm pretty sure the wife is very much not a fan of hearing them as often as I listen to them. But but uh, but yeah, I mean like that he started so much with that album in particular too. So it's and then as a short side note, like I remember when that album dropped, I was still in college, and there was a dude that I I used to he used to get vinyl. I don't know how back then, but he got vinyl and like he put that album on. I'm like. This, sounds like an older version of that dude from KMD. And then we later he dropped some th- like you know dropped some lyrics about KMD and I'm like oh shit it is him. So it was like I mean I feel like MF Doom is yeah like you said he's your favorite rapper's favorite rapper. And for all the right reasons too cuz like a dude could spit, the dude could tell a story, he was fucking hilarious and he was like that whole mystique about the dude in the mask. And then, like sometimes, at some time down the road, you weren't even sure if you were going to see him. Yeah, just got... sending sending random people right. to like in mass to do his shows. Like, right. just... I mean, I only it's... think that it's funny because the people who went to see the shows were fucking down with that. So I'm okay. And you we didn't even we didn't even know he was dead until like months later, right? You Which know, I'm... like ev- everything about was just like every. I mean, I was like, this is like the most perfect MF Doom thing. That right. they could have done, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, open Mike Eagle has that song on the new album, like for Doom, and like it ends with him basically like looking at the painting of Doom on his wall and realizing that that's probably not a painting of Doom because the eyes are wrong. <laughs> like, right? You know, it's just that's like, like that whole Doombot thing. Like you'd send those people up like that. That's oh man. But the like the hardcore Doom fans, and I can't say I'm one of them. Uh, I could say it's like I appreciate the shit out of everything he's done, but like the hardcore fans were there for it. Like they didn't care that they were getting an imposter. They said that's part of the mystique of Doom. So it's like, like I would have felt ripped off, but I mean that's me. <laughs> it's yeah, fucking it's just all part of the the Doom. Like um, I don't even know what the word is for it, but like you know, just the whole like brand that he built around like. Mm-hmm this guy you know he was yeah the closest thing to ever to come to a human comic book character i think and it's like like he was everything like and that's yeah that's that's one of those things that just boggles the mind but like he he's he was brilliant and part of me thinks that he's gonna come back uh you know and be like surprised not dead <laughs> but, i mean i'm honestly surprised that we haven't had like tupac level conspiracy theories with him especially because like if anyone actually was going to pull some shit like that off, like that's who would pull it off. Is right. Doom. Yeah. He was the perfect cat to do that. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm still, I'm waiting for the day that happens because I'm not totally down the conspiracy rabbit hole, but like you said, nobody was built more perfectly to do it than Doom. So, because that's the, that's the life he built up. That's the like whole character he built. Everything was kind of this big mystery and, if it wasn't a mystery, it was like in your face, like weirdness, and that was that was brilliant too. So, or it still is. I mean, we still have his legacy. So, and like if he was still alive, he could be walking around the street because almost no one knows what he looks like. Like I couldn't, right. you know, I couldn't pick that guy out of a 
out of a lineup. I know I couldn't, and I mean, maybe back in the day when he was part of KMD, but but that that was shit. Now, like almost forty years ago, so it's like, yeah, <laughs> Jesus. But that guy was brilliant. Man. That guy, I couldn't, I couldn't bring, I couldn't bring anything about the '90s in without talking about about Doom and his his yeah his creation, that whole creation of that character, that whole thing, like you know, the whole thing about even saying like spelling out his name with all caps. You know everything about the dude was some sort of story, and and it was still always interesting. Like like a lot of these these cats get lost in like the the gimmicks and the cliche, the, the, the you know those niches they want to fit into. And he was like, "There's none of this is gimmicks. It's just part of this is part of the thing." <laughs> so it's like fucking crazy to me. But he's here. He is, and like like they keep going back to the idea of your favorite rapper's favorite rapper. Yeah, and I think, you know, like, I mean, I've never heard him say this, but I always assume that, you know, like, after his brother died and stuff, like, he just wanted a, he wanted a, a level of anonymity. Like, he didn't want to quite be out there in the same way, and he just created this character, you know, so that he could still do the thing that he was the best at. But, right. but you know, have some, some level of anim- anonymity and just, you know... Yeah he, yeah, he definitely accomplished that. I think he, yeah, I mean, that's very few people can can pull off the kind of the kind of dual life the way he did. I mean, he, he had a very private life off stage and outside of his albums and his music, but also like he was a highly touted public figure too. So like that's a really difficult line to 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 walk, but they, that that guy did it. And like a, I'm still expecting any spent any minute now. We're gonna find out that he's still around, but still. <laughs> yeah, and he was he was so private. Like I, I don't know actually, you know how true this is, but like, I really got the impression that most of what he did was on his own terms. Absolutely. You know, um, which is you know kind of like rolls back into that indie spirit, right? Like this is a guy that did what he wanted on his own terms in a, you know in the way that he wanted to. Right. Right. And that's, that's the, yeah, cause I think of if anything has come through and, and the people we've mentioned in, in this, in just what we've been talking about is that idea. All of these cats have done everything on their terms and uh, you know, doom, especially like, I think that, that that's the way like he kind of, and I wanted to bring him up cause I think he kind of single-handedly, you know, showed a lot of people that you can do anything if you want to do it your your way and uh i mean all these other cats did too but like you know that everybody on our list and then we talked about it has been 100 percent themselves no doubt and if so if there's any common thread there like even though that we didn't completely talk about quote-unquote indie in this decade we we're talking about that spirit that's there though that this is what we're doing this is us take it or leave it it's always going to be real or yeah, what no, we want to be I think the, a lot of the guys, you know, we talked about with maybe a couple notable exceptions, like these are the guys that like are the direct line to like the indie movement that, you know, was starting in the 2000s and and is like, in my opinion, is still going strong now. I mean, I think, honestly, I think last year was one of the best years for like hip hop in a long time. And it's because it was mostly people dropping indie stuff on their own labels or on a small label and doing the thing that they wanted to do 
Yeah, 100% agree with that. That's why I, when I did my look back on the year, I couldn't settle on 10. Like I had to, and it was all across the board, but every one of those cats was doing something that they wanted to do. And anyway, I, I agree with that. Like 2022 was one of the best years I can remember, especially in recent times or for hip hop, especially the indie scene, because they were just doing it. And I'm here for it. Anytime they want to drop another year like that on us, I'm here for it. Yeah, for sure. So yeah. um, I am getting close to my time limit. Is Alrighty. there anything that you have left on your list that like you just want to shout out? Because I have um, one more I have one more on my list that I, I think I have to at least just like scream out into the ether even if we can't talk about it. Let's let's let you go. So you are you since you're my guest. Let's do that for uh, you. Most Def and Talib Quali are Black Star Word. 1998. Word. I just listened to that album for like like two two minutes before this ended, or before it ended. I or two two minutes before we started recording, I should say that album ended. Just listen to it. We have to talk about that album. I mean, that should be maybe that's the teaser for the next episode. You got you and I do together. Yeah, because like that album is seminal. Like like that. Holy shit. Yeah, and that was ninety eight too, right? So it's like, man. yeah, it's like right there, right there on the end of it, right there, like two people that are just amazing lyricists that like sort of like with their own ways and in different ways you know to right. to have like long careers um you know i just i because of the way this conversation went i didn't get to mention it you know earlier but i just felt like we had to at least like at least say its name yes absolutely and then, like i said it could be a teaser for the next episode we do together and it's near the end of the de- that, that decade too so it's a good bridge into the 2000s so so here you go. There's the teaser teaser trailer for the next time we do the canon of hip hop. <laughs> so. Well, well, Matt, this was super fun. I feel honored that you, you know, allowed me on here. Um, and you know, if, like people are into it and you're into it, like I'm definitely interested in coming back and we'll just start working our way through the decades. Um, and I just want to say, like, I'm so proud of what you're doing. Like the the podcast has been awesome i've enjoyed hearing it and i mean i'm honestly like legit impressed with some of the people you've gotten on here uh you know i'm not gonna lie when my friend said i'm starting a podcast i was like okay great dude <laughs> you know i mean they're a dime a dozen you know yeah, um, they are. And like and like you know i wanted to support you but i'll be honest you exceeded my expectations and you've just had so many amazing people in here and the way you talk to them is just so honest and earnest so i just want to thank you for allowing me to be part of this journey well thank you for wanting to be a part of it man like you were one of my big supports in doing this so anytime i shout out the supporters who have given me the love to do this be be sure that you are 100 percent on my list of people that, that that i want to thank and send love to for doing this i'm i'm proud of what i'm doing so far and it makes me proud to hear you say that so thank you very much for being behind me no man thank you and start a patreon so we can all give you money <laughs> i think that now that i think about that that might be a good idea <laughs> so you got you got one subscriber anyway all uh, right thank you very much my, my friend man. Uh, uh, peace peace although i uh, had already recorded this episode um pretty well prior to today which is february 12th um with my homie jeremy um, sometimes things have to be added in and today it is, it is the sad news of the passing of, uh, 
Fe La Sol's Trugoy, The Dove, Plug 2. Um, yeah, so learning earlier today that that Dave has passed away. Truly sad, so uh, seems natural to and fitting to uh, to dedicate this episode to the life and influence and impact that Trugoy has has made on on hip hop hip hop culture and in particular your host uh, me so rest in peace and power and beats Trugoy.